Father, it's a privilege to be back together for men's Bible study. We've been doing this now for, um, well, 20 years, two decades, which is remarkable. But it, it's always good to get with men who are of like mind and who are followers of you. And some come in as seekers and are... Um, not even quite sure why they are here. But we've all been in that position uh, because we, we are born uh, not seeking you, not interested in you. We're interested in ourselves and in our own agenda, but out of your grace and mercy, for everyone who is a believer, you pulled us to yourself. And you began to work in our lives. Might have been through a, some kind of uh, difficulty, some kind of health issue, some kind of loss in our lives. It might have been through, uh, it, well, it, you work in a million different ways, but you begin the process of pulling us to yourself. And then you transfer us by your regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to your kingdom. And we're born again. And then we have a desire to know you. And we have a desire to grow and to become disciples. And to become your men. And to live life your way. Which is the best way. And the wisest way. And the cleanest way. It makes sense. And you honor those, those who honor you. Them will I honor is what you say in your word. So it's good to be back. We are living in... Times, really, when we try to describe them, we, we, we're at a loss for words, but we've never seen anything like this. And it's not over, and it won't be over for a while. We have that sense. But we thank you that you are the sovereign God, that you are in charge of all things. We thank you that you run the world, you run the universe. We thank you that you've sent your son, that you've given us your word. You offer us your wisdom instead of the wisdom of man. That's why we open our Bibles. We need to hear from you. We need to be reminded of what's true. We need, we need to be briefed from you every morning. Here's what's true. Here's what's a lie. Here's the path you should go in. Not that path, this path. That's why we open our Bibles. So we are here, our hearts are open, we ask that you'll teach us, we ask that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God, actually we don't even need to ask that because that's what he always does, the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together, but open our hearts and open our minds. If there's resistance in our heart, bulldoze it and save our lives. We ask these things in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, what do we have here? September 15th, 2020. Our last session, the last time we met, was March 4th. Um, Ballpark six months. 
In our last session, and I don't have to even go over this because I know you guys remember it in depth. <laughs> I'd like you to turn back with me to Psalm 9. We'll go back there because when we did Psalm 9 on March 4th, I only got through half of the psalm. And at the conclusion, I said, so guys, I only got halfway through, so the next time we meet, we'll finish up Psalm 9. I had no idea we'd have a six-month interruption. Now, what's interesting about Psalm 9 is that Psalm 9, the theme of Psalm 9 is that God judges the nations. That's the theme. Why, why did our study suddenly go on hold for six months? Well, the reason we went on hold for six months as we were studying Psalm 9 is that God decided to judge the nations. That's what's going on. That's, that's what we have to understand as believers. This is not random, this is not chance, this is not anything except the hand of God. God judges nations. I don't, my title for tonight is, What on Earth Has Happened? Let's talk about what's transpired between March 4th and today. It has been uh, earth-shaking. Uh, it has shaken the world. It has shaken the nations. It has shaken our peace, our well-being, our freedom. It has shaken our assumptions about the future. It has shaken everything. It's been turned. It's been turned. Uh, upside down. So back in 1971, Os Guinness, some of you guys are familiar with Guinness. He's a descendant of the brewer, Guinness beer. Uh, he says great, 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 you know, it goes back, I don't know, nine generations. Uh, Os Guinness is a brilliant Christian philosopher, writer, biblical scholar, uh, doctorate from Oxford. In 1971, he published a book called The Dust of Death. Now, I have The Dust of Death on my shelf that I bought in 71 or 72. I, I pulled it out the other day. But I just got this a few days ago. It, it's a tremendous book. The subtitle is the 60s counterculture and how it changed America forever. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love it when God hands me stuff. And he hands me stuff all the time. He handed this to me. I read a review on this and I went, wait a minute, Guinness is good. He's doing a 50th updated anniversary edition. So I got it. Um, so Os Guinness, give you a little background on, on him real quick. Uh, from an Irish family, the Guinness family. When you, the, the, a book has been written on the Guinness family. Arthur Guinness, the brewmaster, was a committed Christian. Oh, but he had a brewery? Yeah, he did, because 
You know, we have meth. We have people whose lives are being destroyed by meth in our day. What destroyed people in Ireland back in his day was gin, gin joints. And these people had, had difficult lives. They were in poverty, and there were gin joints on every street. And pe- I mean, you'd drink gin, and it'd blind you. It would paralyze you. It would, families, uh, fathers couldn't work. There was poverty. It was all, and this Guinness came into an inheritance, and he asked the Lord, Lord, I want to serve you. What can I do for you? He had been given an inheritance, and he felt like the Lord wanted him to open a brewery, of all things. And some folks, some believers would have a hard time with that, but they used to market Guinness as the healthy drink. And he comprised this, I mean, gin would blind you, but he put together this recipe full of uh, B vitamins and brewer's yeast. It was good for you. And He built this brewery, and he was a a wonderful, godly Christian man, took care of his employees, helped them to get homes, gave them medical care. I mean, it's incredible. From him, the Guinness descendants went three ways. You have the the brewmasters, and it was recently sold, but it had been in the family for centuries. So you had the, the guys that stayed with the brewery business, then you had the guys that went into banking, and then you had the guys who were pastors and missionaries. And there were three different lines. Os Guinness is of the missions line. So he grew up in China. His mom and dad were missionaries. And uh, they had to escape China, and he had two brothers that, were, that died, I believe, of starvation. His dad died. He and his mom escaped. So he has seen the horrors of tyranny and oppression. Uh, he escaped, went to England, uh, and... Uh, In 1968, what this book is about in 1968, he'd been all over the world. He came to America and traveled around America in 1968. That was the year to travel around America. And this book is about what happened in 1968. I don't want to take too much time on this, but 1968 earthquaked the world. It earthquaked America. There There was a San Andreas fault that just boom. Everything changed in 68. And he traveled around. He went to San Francisco. He went to Berkeley. He was in the Deep South, saw racism. He was at Harvard. He was at Yale. He he was, it was remarkable. So in 71, three years later, he he was at at Labrie Ministries in Switzerland with Francis Schaeffer, who uh, impacted a generation. And he was an associate of Schaefer's, and at the kitchen table, he wrote this book. He's written a new preface. And then I'd like to read two pages to you, but I won't. I won't take the time. But uh, here you go. A couple shots from Guinness, because it applies to right where we are right now. Western civilization is in its decline, and its lead society, the American Republic, is as deeply divided as at any time since just before the Civil War. But why? Is it simply a clash between the coastals, New York and California, and the heartlanders, the Midwest and the South, or between the nationalists and populists, President Trump's forgotten people, and the globalists of the George Soros-like Western elites? There are multiple causes of the deep and bitter polarization, but the deepest of all has been almost completely overlooked, and the 60s provide a massive thrust forward in its development. The ultimate source 
of the current divisions in America is between those who understand the republic and above all freedom from the perspective of the American Revolution and those who understand the republic and freedom from the perspective of the French Revolution and their errors and their ideas. That is absolutely on the money. Maybe you have seen in some of this nightly uh, writing, looting, firebombing, maybe you have seen, maybe you saw, this, this happened recently, and I forget what city it was, but they rolled out a guillotine. The guillotine is the symbol of the French Revolution. Because when the French Revolution hit, they began to cut heads off. I mean, it was all day long. And it went on for years. It was absolute anarchy. It was absolute lawlessness. So you have the American Revolution. And see, kids, a lot of people, younger people, don't know the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution because they haven't been taught it because we don't teach history. But those were two completely different revolutions with two completely different foundations. Guinness goes on and says, and, and you know, he must have written this introduction because of the publishing schedules. He had to have written this six, seven, eight months ago, at least. Stop to reflect on ideas such as progressivism, postmodernism, political correctness, identity and tribal politics, multiculturalism, social constructionism, the sexual revolution, the recent rage for socialism, or the leftward drift of the Democratic Party and many in the media. It's quickly becoming, it quickly becomes clear that these ideas have little or nothing to do with 1776 and the American Revolution and its views of freedom. Rather, they are rooted in ideas that come directly or indirectly from 1789 and the French Revolution, and behind it is the French Enlightenment and its later heirs such as Marx, Nietzsche, uh, Gramsci, Reich, Marcuse, Alinsky, and others. Um, Saul Alinsky wrote a, a book uh, he died, uh, I don't know, how long ago? 15, 20 years ago? He was the first community organizer. Uh, Saul Alinsky wrote a book called Rules for Radicals. It has influenced many, many on the left. Alinsky dedicated his book to Satan. This all goes back to 68. It, it's remarkable to read this. Ideas have consequences. That, that's, that's true. Ideas have consequences. Marxism, which is what we're seeing everywhere, disguised. Marxism... is a Christian counterfeit. It replaces God with the state. It replaces God with a tyrannical government. 
That's it. And it is contrary. And everywhere it has gone, people's lives have been destroyed in mass murder, starvation. So here we are in 2020. And we're back in Psalm 9. I, I'm going to, uh, we're going to take a tour through Scripture tonight. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture. Because that's the only way we can make sense out of all of this. And this, it's the only way we get hope. It's the only way we keep our stability. It's the only way we keep, uh, keep our, 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 our feet on the ground. It's the only way we keep perspective. So let's go back to Psalm 9. And I'm not going to read the whole psalm. We're just going to touch on it. And then I'm going to move to some other places in Scripture. But the theme, again, is that God judges the nations. And in the midst of that, there is a great verse in verse 10. In, in the midst of trouble and turmoil and upheaval and social unrest, this great verse says in verse 10, those who know your name will put their trust in you. That's a verse for now. That's a verse for every day of your life right now. It, it always applies, but especially in times like these. Those who know thy name will put their trust in you. Psalm 31, as for me, I say to you, O Lord, that you are my God. You are my God. I trust in you, O Lord. My times are in your hand. There's all this uncertainty. But in your life as a believer, there's actually a lot of certainty because God is at work and God has a plan. And we've talked about this for 20 years. But you see, he's still got a plan and he's still in charge and he's still in control even though everything has been turned upside down. Further on in Psalm 9, the nations have sunk down, verse 15, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made and the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is snared. The wicked will return to Sheol, the place of death. Watch this. Even all the nations who forget God. That's a, that's a big time verse. Even all the nations who forget God. You forget God, you're in trouble. You forget God, you're going down the wrong path. You forget God and your life's going to get bad real quick. And it's not going to get better as long as you forget God. And we see... I'll tell you part of what's going on right now is that God's purging the church. The, God judges the nations, but, but judgment begins with the household of God. You've got a lot of believers who are, what, what, who are not true believers. They're professing. It's just mouth. It's just mouth. There's no heart. There's no follow through. There are Matthew 7 believers. Lord, we did miracles in your name. We cast out um, demons. We did works of power. And the Lord says, to, and Jesus said, I will say to them on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. They're in every church. They're in every uh, Bible-centered ministry. It's wheat and tares. 
And they'll be exposed on the last day. Sometimes they're exposed prior to that. Uh, we are entering a time of increased persecution. And it's going to continue to heat up. It's going to get uh, more difficult. Uh, what persecution does, wherever, wherever persecution hits the church, the church grows. When, when they try to squelch the church, when they try to kill Christian people, there's a line from church history that says, the blood of the martyrs is seed. You kill a martyr, you take out a martyr, someone who stands for Christ, <laughs> you're shooting yourself in the foot. Because his life, the blood of his life, which was redeemed by Christ, is going to reproduce exponentially. And that's what's always happened in church history. Wherever there's great persecution, the church is growing. The church is growing exponentially in all places in Iran. Like hotcakes. And they're doing everything they can do to put it out. They can't put it out. Why? Because the Spirit of God is at work. See, here's what happens when persecution comes. When persecution comes, the fake believers head for the hills. God, through times like these, God purges the church. I, I've been, I've just observed this happening in the last six months. Got an email from a guy one morning, Steve, I've been living a double life for 25 years. Just one morning, boom, that's how it started. And uh, yes, and yes, indeed, and nobody knew. Uh, committed to his church, committed to his family on the surface, committed to uh, men's ministry. Sold out. And uh, he was involved in uh, he was involved in uh, running women and prostitution. Last guy in the world you'd ever think. Another guy who uh, came to a conference I was doing in his state in the southern part of the state. This is probably three years ago, four years ago. He came, he loved the conference. He said, man, we gotta do this up in our part of the state. So great. And, and he put it together and got a bunch of churches and we had a bunch of guys, probably uh, uh, hundreds of guys that showed up at this thing. He did all the work, he did all the time, he did all this, he was, man, he was there, he was excited. Well, he just got exposed. Guy with a wife, four kids, deacon in his church, the whole nine yards, Jesus, yay Bible, yay God, you know. He not only had one woman, he had two. Judgment begins with the household of God. This is no time to be screwing around with sin. This is a time to get all in with Christ. We're sinners. But what do you do with your sin when the Lord convicts you? You don't ignore it. You don't play games. You don't rationalize it. You don't put it on the back shelf. You deal with it. You want to walk with him in fellowship. You want to walk close to him so that you'll have his favor and his blessing and his direction and his guidance. It's not a time to play games. In verse 19 of um, 
Psalm 9. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men, because that's all they are, is men. Uh, flip over to Lamentations 1. I know that's your favorite book in the Bible. Lamentations is somewhat obscure. If you go right and you can find Isaiah, keep rolling, get to Jeremiah, and then you'll find Lamentations. And in Lamentations, it's, it's five laments in Lamentations by Jeremiah. And what's happened is that God sent the prophets to Israel and Judah, and they wouldn't listen, and they wouldn't listen, and they wouldn't listen. Instead of following one true God, they got into idolatry. And they begin to do horrific things, and they begin to... They be, see, what happens when you get away from God, what happens in your life is that dry rot begins to set in. And you can look okay on the surface. You know, you've, you've, you've had this experience, you've been looking at a house with your wife, and you're looking at several houses, you land on one, and you think, oh man, that looks great. I mean, it really looks good. And it's got new paint, it's got all this new stuff. And then you get the termite inspection. Oh my gosh. It's just rotted out inside. I mean, the exterior is unbelievable, but it's got issues internally. That happens to nations, it happens to people. Uh, God kept sending prophets to Judah. Kept sending prophets, kept sending prophets. Jeremiah prophesied for 40 years, and God told him up front, they're not going to listen to you. They will not listen to you. At best we can tell, Jeremiah in 40 years had one convert. Now, let me just say this. To a preacher, that's depressing. <laughs> he had one convert. And then what happened? Judgment came on the nation, and they went into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. That's Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they went in for 70 years. Lamentations 1. This is what happened when, when God judges a nation and God judges a city. Lamentations 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the, pe the, the city that was full of people. Does that sound familiar? Or maybe I should say this. Does that look familiar? Jerusalem was empty. And it used to be full of people. When this pandemic, quote-unquote pandemic, I always put quotes around it. When this thing got going... Did you see the different uh, cams on the web of the cities? Uh, they, they, opened, they opened a brand new skyscraper yesterday in New York City. The streets are utterly empty. You remember seeing those shots of all the cities and they were, it was just death because nobody was there. Let's go to Romans 1. We've, been, we've, we've gone to Romans 1 before, but um, why does God judge nations and why does God judge individuals? Well, Romans 1 explains it to us. Romans 1, 18, it talks about what happens when people leave the God they know to be true. Romans 1 it explains what's going on right now. Verse 18. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, this is very important that you catch this. All men know the truth about God. They know it by two ways. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, inside, for God made it evident to them. So what God does is he writes the truth of himself on our hearts. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been, watch this, clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So you see the world, you see the mountains, you see the, uh, the animals, you see the oceans, you see, they're without excuse. Because that's evidence of a creator. It's irrefutable evidence of a creator. So they have no excuse. 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became as fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This is why, you know, you go around the world and you'll see the, the statues, and they still have statues of animals that they'll worship. You know, you get this, it's idolatry. But there are other kinds of idols that aren't animals. It can be cars, it can be houses. Not one house, not two houses, three houses, four houses, you know. Five branches, depends on how many, you know, how much money you have. This stuff is idolatry. Um, you're trying to find your joy, you're trying to find your meaning in anything other than God. You shall have no other gods before me, God says. Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's our university system. There are more fools per square inch on the university campus than anywhere else on the face of the earth. And I'm not talking about the students. I'm talking about professors. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There are exceptions, but they are few. It's a propaganda machine, and you know it, and I know it. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now watch this. Here begin. Three times now, God's going to give them over. Three things happen. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So you go back to the 60s, what happened in the 60s? You had a sexual revolution. You had verse 24. Pornography opened up. There are no restraints. Uh, for God to give you over is, to, is, is for God to give you a sentence. If you want to go that way and you resist him and you resist him and you resist him, the worst thing that can happen is for, is for God to let you go the way that you want to go. So, we saw in the 60s, beginning in the 60s, a sexual revolution. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now what? look at 26. He gives them over again. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. 
For the women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. That's the homosexual revolution. So first, in America, you had the sexual revolution, then you had the homosexual revolution. God gave them over twice. There's a third, 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. A depraved mind, some translations say reprobate mind. What does that mean? It means irrational. It means unthinking. It means, um, it means insane. That's what it means. How many times in the last week have you seen something on a website or read something and you've said to yourself, that's, what do you say? That's insane. That is absolutely without reason, and you're exactly right, because we have been given over. This isn't something that's going to happen. This is what has happened. We're right in the thick of it. We're right in the middle of it. So you had a sexual revolution, you had a homosexual revolution. Uh, what the third one is, and what we're seeing right now going on, is that with this return to Marxism and wokeism and all of this stuff, what, what we're seeing is we're seeing a, revela a, a revolution of lawlessness and insanity. It's insane. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 in the last days, Jesus said, he said, one of the signs is that lawlessness will increase. Is it increasing? It's increasing. But he told us it was going to happen. So, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to lose our nerve. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to you know, buy a cabin somewhere off the grid with a remodeled outhouse. You don't need to do that. He told us it was going to happen. So just, you know, he's got it. He's got you. He's got this thing. He's calling the shots. He's in charge. I had someone say to me recently, you know, Steve, you talk about God's sovereignty all the time. I said, yeah, I do. Why do you do that? Number one, it's in the Bible, everywhere. Number two, it's the only thing that keeps me going. Right? Yeah. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. If God's not in charge, you're toast. You're in trouble if God's not sovereign. So what on earth has happened? How do we interpret all this? Well, God judges nations and God judges individuals, and it's just not our nation, but it's other nations that depart. This, this applies to nations, it applies to individuals. You depart from the living God, you're gonna be given over. Let's go to uh, Isaiah 45. 
And as we're going to Isaiah 45, I'm going to give you five things, just five points, and you'll see them in different texts, okay? So, God judges nations, so here's five points. Number one, God and the nations. We'll look at God and the nations. Um, God is sovereign. Psalm 103, his throne is in the heavens, his sovereignty rules over all. That is, um, uh, that, that is absolute control. He, he's, he's in absolute control. He's in utter control. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He has a plan for the ages. He created the world. Then sin comes into the world. And then suddenly, you've get, whenever sin comes in, then you get death. So there were no viruses. There was no murder. There was no shame. There was no, it was, it, it all changed when they went against the Lord God. And it was, a, and so Genesis 1 and 2, it's utter perfection. Which, by the way, when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, it'll be the Garden of Eden again. And better. That's where we're going. He's going to restore it. But then Genesis 3, you've got sin, and then you've got a brother killing his brother, and then it just starts sliding. And by Genesis 6, it's so bad, the rebellion against God, that God sends <clears throat> a worldwide flood and kills the entire world except one family. So it was quick, it was swift. The decline can happen rapidly. The dry rot sets in. God judged the nations. But he spared Noah and his family. Um, by the way, uh, and we'll get to this in a minute, but you're saying, wait a minute, are you saying God's, all this stuff, I mean, this is part of God's plan? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, you need to keep reading your Bible then. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things after the counsel of his will. Doesn't say he works some things. He works all things. Well, bad things happen. Evil happens, yeah. And God's never the author of evil because he can't be because of his character, because he has absolute moral purity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But evil happens. Evil is a, is a tool on God's Swiss army knife. He uses evil for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Even in your life, the evil that has occurred in your life, he promises in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. All things, even the worst things. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So the worst thing that's ever happened to you, God will turn for your good in his way in his time. So that hasn't happened yet, Steve. I don't see it. Fine. You will. Just trust him with the timing. Doesn't mean we don't suffer. We do. But he works all things after the counsel of his will. Well, I'm going to refer to Satan and the nations. Uh, Satan is a created being. He was an angel. He rebelled against God. He took a third of the angels with him, according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Those are the demons, and they're active in the world. 
We, Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the principalities of the air. There are demonic forces. Second uh, Corinthians 4.4, um, 4. Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the truth of the gospel. He is the God of this world. That's 1 John 5, 19. But he, so, but let me say this about Satan. He is in limited rebellion, which God has permitted. He's been cast out. Eventually, he'll be put in the lake of fire. But he's, he, he is actually under the authority of Almighty God, even as he does what he does. Um, so Job was afflicted. If you remember back to Job, Job, go, you know, Satan goes to the Lord. This guy loves you. He's perfect, but you've blessed him. He's got no problems. Let me, let me afflict him. You'll see he really doesn't love you. So Satan afflicts him. Now, I want you to know something. Satan could not afflict Job without the permission of Almighty God. He's a pit bull, but he's on a chain. And he cannot go beyond the boundaries that God sets. Just know that. He's not equal with God. And he'll be dealt with in due time. But he is the God of this world. Third, nations and rulers. Nations and rulers. So we had God in the nations, Satan in the nations, the Bible says a lot about nations and rulers, and we'll see this in a minute. But just for now, turn with me to uh, Isaiah 40. Uh, nations can do evil as individuals can do evil. Verse 15 of Isaiah 40. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. So you shouldn't spend too much time at night thinking about China. Doesn't mean they don't do damage. But it's all within the realm of his sovereign plan. You say, I don't get that. Well, that's because there are three ways God works. We've said it before. God works sovereignly in all things. Secondly, God works strangely. God doesn't do things the way we think he ought to do them. Isaiah 55, 8, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. God does some strange things to us. Uh, thirdly, God works slowly. He works slowly. And we want him to work right now, but he tends to work slowly. Sometimes he works quickly. You know what's interesting about the judgment of God? Sometimes we get upset at God because he, he, why doesn't God judge? Why doesn't God do anything? Why doesn't, well, when God does work swiftly, like when Uzzah touches the Ark of the Covenant and God kills him, people get all upset. Well, that was so unjust. That was so unjust. It wasn't unjust. He, they were told, don't touch the Ark. And he touched it and God killed him. As R.C. Sproul said, it may not have been merciful, but it was not unjust. See, God can't do it right with us. If he moves quick, we're against him. Oh, you shouldn't have done it. It wasn't right. How could you do that? 
If he moves slow, what are you doing? What do you, you see us, our suffering? He's God. He's got it. He knows what he's doing. 22 of Isaiah 40. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely had they been planted, scarcely had they been sown, and he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I would be as equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. That's our God. For the nations, I ran, I ran. Hey, man, eat a cheeseburger. Chill out. Get a protein shake. He's got it. He's in charge. He's in control. And even with leaders, he puts them up, he raises them, he puts them down. We got an election coming up. <laughs> and, and, and here is the forecast. There's going to be civil unrest before the election, and there's going to be civil unrest after the election. How's the election going to, what do you think is going to happen? What, I mean, what, what do you mean, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your read? What do you think? What do you... I've said this before, I always vote. I usually vote anywhere from five to seven times. <laughs> it's a free country, it's a wonderful country. You can vote early, you can vote often, you can vote if you're dead. <laughs> We're soon gonna be able to vote by mail. It'll be, it's gonna be a wonderful time. You say, well yeah, that's what concerns me, that's what worries me, okay. Daniel, chapter two. Here we're talking about leaders. There's a series of kings in Daniel that God demonstrated <laughs> that they were meaningless and void. And there are kings coming in the future, and there will be a great Antichrist, and it's coming. It's absolutely coming. It's already dealt with, it'll be taken care of all in due time. We think our lives are in the destiny of these leaders who are calling the shots in our lives. We think they control our destiny because they're high. They may be high, he's most high. That's what Daniel is all about. And when you get into Daniel, Daniel in chapter one, because they had not listened to the prophets, he goes and his buddies and the nation goes into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. And they're, you know, I, I mean, they're in this re-education camp and they're put into a, the Babylonian Harvard MBA program and because they're out of the royal family. And the king has a dream that he can't get explained. It freaks him out. He can't sleep at night. He gets all his guys together as, you know, as advisors, as counselors. Oh, you know, they usually he'll tell them the dream. They'll give him an interpretation. They'll get together and figure out something that's interesting. And he said, I'm not screwing around with you guys. Listen, if you're so smart, tell me the dream. Well, there's not a man on the earth, Lord, who can do that. Uh, oh, oh, king, there's not a man on the earth. Well, actually, there is a man on the earth named Daniel. That's in Daniel 2. And what happens is Daniel and his buddies get together and pray and say, Lord, show us what he dreamt. And God gave it to him. God revealed it to him. So in Daniel 2, verse 
19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. How much wisdom does God have? He has all wisdom. How much power? He has all power. It is he who changes the times and the epics. So uh, what on earth has happened? What, what on earth has happened in the last six months? He has changed the times and the epics and the, and the seasons. He's behind it. He is. He might use secondary sources, but he's behind it. Uh, next verse. He removes kings and establishes kings. So am I going to vote? Yeah, I'm going to vote. Can I tell you something about the election? God's already determined who he's putting in. It's fixed. It's in concrete. He's determined who's getting in. He, he always determines who's getting in. And sometimes it's, it's a good guy, sometimes it's a bad guy, because he uses them both for his purposes. There's, there's a guy, Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel later on, who thinks he's the king of the earth, and he thinks he's God, basically. And he had another dream, and Daniel, he says, tell me the dream, Daniel. And Daniel starts sweating. He says, king, listen, this is about you, and it's not good. Well, tell me. Well, uh, if you don't acknowledge that the Lord God Almighty is God's supreme sovereign, and bow the knee and submit to him, you're going to be given the mind of an animal for seven years. And he probably thought about it for a day or two, and then he forgot, and then about a year later, he's walking around, looking at the city, look what I've done, look what I've made, and boom, voice out of heaven. Sovereignty has been removed from you. He's given the mind of an Angus, of a longhorn. And within seven years, he was grazing in the field. You're driving in the town, hey, King, how you doing out there? And after seven years, God gave him his mind back, and then he worships God. The guy, the guy came to the Lord. He's worshiping the sovereign God. He knows he's nothing. Number four, let's talk about unbelievers. You have inhabitants of nations. Before I do that, let me say something about leaders of nations. So you have nations, then you have leaders. God expects leaders to embrace righteousness. How blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In the Old Testament, when, in Deuteronomy 17, when Israel would get a new king, the king had to write out the scriptures in his own hand, a complete copy, and read it every day. Because the job, and in Romans 13 we have civil government. So we, uh, government is, is uh, established by God, and if you read Romans 13, and they, and they bear the sword. In other words, they bear the sword to restrain evil, to have peace, and to have well-being, and to have, um, for the common good, um, prosperity. Because evil's out there, someone's got to restrain evil. So we have police. So we have marshals, we have sheriffs, we have, we, we have law enforcement. The, the, the government's job is to wield the sword. Now, listen, most, and you know it and I know it, there are bad apples in every profession. Most police officers are there and they're serving and they're called to it. Why else would they be there? You got a few bad apples? Yeah. 
that, that, that whatever your profession is, most people are working hard and all that, and then you got the bad apples. You got preachers that are bad apples. But God has established government as a restraint. They help keep the peace and civility so that people can live their lives and function without fear. And what we're seeing right now is absolute insanity. It, if someone violates the law, of course, no one's above the law. A lot's happened in six months. A lot. One of the things, one of the things that's happening is tyranny. It's tyranny. There's a lack of safety. You think twice before you go somewhere, and it's not because of the virus. Do I want to go there? And you weren't thinking that way in January and February. But there's a breakdown. There's anarchy. There's lawlessness. There's chaos. We are, we are seeing tyranny show itself. There is something happening in California with John MacArthur and Grace Community Church that is historic. And you should be aware of it. You should be following it. John MacArthur has pastored that church for 51 years. He's 81 years old. You see him on a video, the guy looks like he's a 60-year-old in fabulous shape. He, he is a remarkable guy. He preaches on average for an hour <clears throat> and 10 minutes. I love him. Just for that. That's supposed to be humorous. Obviously, you don't have the same um, appreciation for that. But uh, the first time I heard John MacArthur at Grace Community Church, I was... I was... I believe I was 21 and he was 31. And they just built their gym. They had a small little chapel. Now they got a big, you know, you know like this. But in that gym, he preached for an hour and 10 minutes on, I can still tell you what he preached on, Acts 7, Stephen's powerful defense. And his, he hasn't lost a step. He's a, he's, 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 he's a, and he's courageous. He is fearless. Last Sunday, he began the service. He has stood up to the governor. And he began last, and there's been five judges involved, and there's a threat of him going to jail. And, and basically, MacArthur, and for a while they didn't meet, but then they put out a position paper, we will obey Christ and not Caesar. And I mean, it's, thought, it's just boom, boom, 
boom, boom. Last Sunday, what he did was, at the beginning of the service, he said, people have wondered why we're taking this stand. He said, I want to read to you the actual directive from the governor or from the county or whatever. He's getting hit on different, you know, levels. And it was a bureau, what it was was bureaucratic tyranny. And it, it was so absurd and it was so insane that people started laughing. And it just kept going and going and going. And he's just reading it. Even to when you could, as I recall, uh, social distancing in parking lots. Um, restrooms, when you can go to a restroom. Sermons must be shortened. And then he paused and everybody laughed. Um, and they started meeting. And now they're under a threat. We're going to come. We're going to rescue. We're going to do all this. Interestingly enough, John MacArthur has... 40 different citations from the county of Los Angeles for community involvement and, and ministry to police. His church is full of cops. They, they, uh, they're tied in tight. And, and he has tremendous credibility, and he's taking a stand on the scriptures. Uh, that the, the, the bureaucracy was down to no hymnals, no communion, Know this, know that. The, the, I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was outrageous. And he said, we're not doing it. We're obeying Christ. <clears throat> Other pastors are shutting down for the rest of the year. Andy Stanley sh has shut down his church for the rest of the year. They will not meet. And I watched his video, and I was kind of, I was really disappointed. Because what he said was, well, we're never told in Scripture that we have to meet. And I'm thinking, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Hebrews 10. What? So we need to pray for John MacArthur because this is historic. There's a lot on the line. And he's, uh, I think he's been prepared for such a time as this. I thank God for him. You check out some of his videos. He's doing some of the best stuff he's ever done in his life. Let's go to Isaiah 45. I might have mentioned that earlier and never got there. I can't recall. And in Isaiah 45, God is speaking to Cyrus. Again, contextually, the people of God were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Uh, but when the 70 years was up, they needed to be taken back to the empty city of Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem and populate it and rebuild the nation. So God, in, in Isaiah 44, <clears throat> calls out this foreign pagan king by the name of Cyrus, who doesn't know the Lord God. He's, a, he's an idolater. And God says to him... Um, uh, 24, um, I am the Lord. Well, this says, Lord, your Redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord and the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself. Go down to 26. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she must be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they must be built. They shall be built. I will raise up her ruins again. 28, it is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Cyrus, big time king. He will perform all my desire. What desire? 
to take the people back, to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, to repopulate it, to get them out of Babylon and get them back and to finance it. And he declares, uh, he will perform all my desires. She will be built at the temple. Your foundation, your foundation will be laid. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, who doesn't even know the Lord. He's a pagan. But he's been chosen by God and God's hands on him. God can use pagans to accomplish his will. Whom I've taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of king. He was going to loose the loins of the king of Babylon. And he was going to go in there and conquer Babylon and get the Jews and take them back. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. Uh, four. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one. I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. By the way, this was written 150 years before Cyrus was born. You don't think God's sovereign? Verse 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Beside me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, there is no one beside me. Watch this. I am the Lord, there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. I cause well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all this. Did you catch that? God says... I am the Lord God Almighty who causes well-being. Let me ask you something. What was your life like in January and February? And then beginning in March up till now, did it change? Oh, yeah, it changed. Yeah, you probably had well-being prior to March, and you've experienced some kind of calamity. Some of you guys have lost businesses. You've been laid off. You know, you're, you're struggling financially. You're in a bind. You know. What on earth has happened? He gave us well-being, and now he's given us calamity. Doesn't mean he doesn't use secondary sources, he doesn't use Satan, but it's all under his authority. It's all part of his plan. He is shaking the nations to get their attention. I gave you five different things. I didn't give you all five. I gave you God in the nations, Satan in the nations, nations and rulers. Number four would be unbelievers. There are unbelievers on the earth. Unbelievers on the earth need to know that although they are due judgment because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is a Redeemer whose name is Jesus. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus came to die for sinners. He who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus has made a way of escape. The gospel is the good news. That's what it means. It's good news. But you see, the church of Jesus Christ has become so weak, it's rare for a church, for a pulpit to teach the whole counsel of God, especially when it comes to hell. But Jesus talked about hell twice as much as he talked about heaven. But you see, the problem is, if there is no hell, which is bad news, why would you be interested in good news if there is no bad news. But you see, there is a hell, there is eternal punishment, Jesus said. It's a horrible thing, it, it, it is horrific. It will be just, but it's horrific. 
And there will be levels of punishment, just as there are levels in heaven of reward. God is a just God. But there will be eternal punishment. That's bad news. If you don't tell them the bad news, why would they be interested in the good news? The good news, and then number five, you have believers. I know this is somewhat scattered, but I'm scattered tonight. You have believers. Believers are those who believe the good news. And they've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Ephesians 2, into the kingdom of God. And we have an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away. Never be taken away. If you're a true believer. If you're just a professing believer, if it's just with your mouth, it's just with your lips, you have no assurance of salvation because you're not saved. All you've done is said it with your lips. That may shake some of you guys up, but don't you believe in eternal security? Absolutely. For believers. But Jesus said not everyone who names his name is a believer. The two guys that I mentioned earlier, they're in church every Sunday. They're in leadership in Bible teaching churches. And they're living for years and years and years and years and years. In open rebellion to God, which they are hiding. The problem is with rebellion that you hide is that God sees everything. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. If that's you, you, you turn from your sin, you loathe it, you run from it, and you run to Christ. And you throw yourself on his mercy. Psalm 33. There's a bunch of scriptures on this. I mean, I don't feel too bad about keeping you because you're just going to go home and turn on the news. And I'm here to help you. I'm here to, I'm trying to improve your life. But I won't take too much time. Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord nullifies the, Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He, frust, he frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. That means you can have hope for your kids and your grandkids. Did you worry about them? But he's got a plan for them. I had a new little grandson born yesterday morning. I, we thank God for little Jude. Hey, Jude. <laughs> I wanted to do that for several months. So little Jude showed up. What kind of world has Jude come into? One that he was appointed by Almighty God to come into because Jude's times are in his hands. In Psalm 138.8, the Lord will accomplish that which concerns Jude. And your kids and your grandkids, just keep praying for them. Yeah, a few of my kids are away from the Lord. Most powerful thing in the world is a man of God, is a dad, with his Bible open, on his knees, asking God to bring his kids to the kingdom. There's power there. Just know it. Don't lose heart.
How do I get off on these things? The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from his dwelling place. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. The king is not delivered by a great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. The one who delivers is God Almighty. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. That's a great psalm. That's a great song for us right now. Because where's all this going? What's going to happen? What's going to, what about the election? What about civil law? Boom. I think I got one more passage. I might have one after that. In fact, I do, and then that's it. Job 12. Job 12 is a verse for our day. I'm telling you, it is, it is a verse for right now. Job is just prior to Psalms. Job 12. We read this. 23. Job 12, 23. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nation, then leads them away. What's going to happen to our nation? We don't know. We have no idea. Uh, I read my, uh, Guinness. This nation, I don't know if I read it or not, but it's in there. This nation is more divided now than at any other time since the Civil War. And it didn't hold together. It split. Oh, that'll never happen here. Really? Steve, are you saying it will happen? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we don't know, but God knows. But even if it did... He's still God. Watch this. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nation, then leads them away. Watch this. He dep- re- I- I'm telling you, this is a verse. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people and makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grope in darkness with no light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Is that not right now in front of us? It's utter insanity. And he rules and reigns. So we close with back to Psalm 9. And I got, I want to go back to 10. It's kind of where we started. It's a good place to end. Verse 10. Psalm 910, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. God's got it. He owns it. He's in charge. And he has a special love for his covenant people. His eye is on his people. Are things tight? You're running out of resources financially? You lost a business? You don't know how you're going to make it to the end of the week? What you need is manna. And Jesus is the manna. 
Whatever it is you need, Jesus is it. And he delivers, and he delivers on time. So, Father, we bow before you, and we thank you for... We thank you for your explanation in Scripture to us of your activity in the world. And we thank you through your grace and mercy that we have been recipients of the gospel. And I pray for those guys who are here that perhaps have never bowed the knee, bent the knee, and said, Lord Jesus, I believe you're God. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I ask you, Father, that Jesus would accept me and receive me unto himself so that I could be in your family and have my sins forgiven. I pray that men who have not prayed that would be drawn by your spirit to pray that and to receive eternal life through Christ. We take it a day at a time, Lord, because that's how you told us how to live. So we'll follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.